So my advice for anyone who's just getting into this field is just basically trust no one. Do your own research. If anyone asks you for your your seed phrase or your private key or any of your personal information, don't give it. Here are folks and welcome to the Blockchain New Zealand podcast. I'm Jeff Nicey and today I'm speaking with Mark Christianis. Mark is a cybersecurity turned crypto auditor that has been working with the C4 Cryptocurrency Consortium to develop the new Cryptocurrency Auditor Certification course. Mark is presently undertaking the first ever audit of a business using the standard to assess their crypto security practices. In this conversation, we talk about where the standards fit into a business, what they consist of, and touch on best practices both for businesses and for people just getting into crypto. Before we get to Mark, a quick note about our sponsor. The Blockchain New Zealand podcast is brought to you by Easy Crypto. Five years ago, a passionate bunch of Kiwis created Easy Crypto in New Zealand to enable Kiwis and others to buy and sell cryptocurrency. The Easy Crypto website is simple and straightforward. They have heaps of great educational content that caters to both beginners and experts and are very transparent about fees. You can buy crypto with New Zealand dollars or with your credit card and get crypto sent directly to your wallet. Investing in cryptocurrency can of course be risky, so always do your own research. Visit easycrypto.com to start your crypto journey today. And now my conversation with Mark Christianis. For now, we'll just start. So Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, I would just like to quickly, let's start with some background about how you got into crypto. And uh, I also have uh, maybe a few quick questions for you about credit cards. And then we'll start talking about uh, crypto standards. No problem. So I'm currently a, uh, what they call a QSA, which is a qualified security assessor for PCI DSS, which is a security standard that was created by the card brands. And uh, we go in and audit uh, payment systems for large companies and institutions. And uh, through that, we gained an understanding of uh, cryptography and um, you know HSMs and all the other types of things regarding uh, protection of payment information. And from there, it was just a bit of a natural progression into cryptocurrencies, which I have a personal interest in. And um, obviously the basis of cryptocurrencies is cryptography. And so uh, we've, we've had quite a lot of um, experience and skills in, in auditing uh, cryptography systems, based systems. So the progression into cryptocurrency was was natural for us. And on a personal level, being involved in cryptocurrencies, buying coins and, and you know, inter, uh, buying land in the metaverse and so forth, I really was uh, shocked at the lack of any kind of security of the systems. And, and as you can see, everyone can see, even on the general media, is that the amount of hacks that are experienced in um, the crypto world is, is just phenomenal. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see every couple of weeks a major bank getting hacked and all their customers' funds all suddenly just disappear, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't receive, you wouldn't hear about that. So um, in the crypto world, it just seemed to be something that people accepted. It's, it's the wild west. You go in there, you take an enormous risk. You, you put in your money and, and it's a lottery whether it's going to end up uh, earning you some profit or um, basically just disappearing in a hack. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's a bit better than a lottery, but you're absolutely right. If uh, this was happening with banks, right, they would be shut down, you know, relatively quickly and they'd have to bring in, a, you know, a whole bunch of people to redo their systems and have a look at how everything is being managed. So... With the cryptography on the credit card side of things, is that like internet traffic, that sort of thing? That's, uh, it covers the transmission of credit card information. So things such as HTTPS. So when you go to a website, like an e-commerce website, and you put in your credit card details, that information is sent to the e-commerce website via HTTPS. So it's encrypted at the transmission layer but also the, the security standard deals with the protection of card data at rest. So if the e-commerce site stores your credit cards, it should be stored encrypted with very strong encryption. So it covers both 
um, the transmission and the storage and also the processing of credit card information as well. And so if you click in, a, in some app or website, if you click like save my card, is that the type of thing you're talking about? Exactly right. You call that at rest? Yes, yeah. It's just a fancy term to say you store the data. Okay, and so you have uh, clients that come to you and ask to review their systems. Are these like small businesses, big businesses? It's a mixture. It can be small businesses. Uh, generally, the larger institutions will, will come to us because auditing, especially under PCI, is, is, is reasonably um, pricey. Uh, there's a lot of requirements that you need to adhere to. The interesting thing is, is that PCI DSS, the security standard, is basically applies to any business that accepts credit cards. So that's your corner dairy right through to trade me. And um, however, you have to reach a certain volume of transactions before you need, You basically you have to engage a third party auditor, which is um, a QSA, such as myself. So uh, generally small businesses and um, medium-sized businesses will probably contact us if they um, experience a hack and that their acquiring bank has pretty much demanded that they engage an external auditor and uh, to review their systems. So, okay, so that might be the first time that they encounter this is under sort of duress and bad circumstances. Yes, unfortunately, and if, and if the hack is bad enough and, and they really have a large number of credit cards, the bank might also ask for a forensic examination, which is uh, something that you, you really, as a small business, don't want to experience because that's incredibly expensive. Uh, I don't believe at this stage there's any qualified forensic specialists that are um, you know, certified by the PCI Council to conduct a, a, an audit, a forensic audit. So they have to bring someone in. I think the closest is um, there are certified forensic consultants in Australia. So you'd have to bring them over to Australia. Uh, generally the acquiring bank um, will just ask the small business to engage a, a QSA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And is, is there a lot of, I, mean, I, I might know the answer to this, but from a like every man point of view, is there a lot of credit card fraud that's still ongoing these days? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, in New Zealand, the, the acquiring banks are, are quite good in ensuring that uh, institutions that, that process a lot of credit cards um, are actually PCI DSS compliant. So we're, we're quite strong in, in that area. It's just the smaller e-commerce sites that um, experience um, hacks the most and that's because they pretty much you know they're, they're trying to run a business in New Zealand and and, and small business in New Zealand generally the, there's one or two people you know or maybe you might get up to a, a, um, 50 people or whatever but generally a lot of the stuff is done in-house especially information security because um, that's quite expensive employing someone who just does that full-time so it's normally on the uh, someone within the business is normally told, well, you're looking after information security as well as your normal job, uh, right. which ultimately results in um, things not being patched, uh, poor code practices and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, that's generally where you see the bulk of hacks these days. Oh, man. Yeah. So someone puts up their hand and says, oh, yeah, I know a little bit about uh, encryption or web standards or something. And then they're the, they're the security person. Yeah, because PCI DSS is actually one of the uh, more rigorous security standards. You have other ones, but they have this concept called fit for purpose, which means that um, you can implement a security protection based on what you feel is needed. Whereas with PCI DSS currently, um, it actually tells you what you need to put in place. You shall do this, you shall do that. Um, and if it doesn't meet those requirements, then there's a whole other process you've got to go through in order to, for the assessed entity to actually prove that their security may not meet the exact requirements of PCI DSS, but um, you know, you know what they've put in place still meets the intent of, of the requirement. So um, it is quite a robust and rigorous security standard. And any organization that is PCI DSS compliant 
you, you would normally have a good level of comfort that this organization that you're giving your credit card details to um, has some good security measures in place. Okay, so well-known, very robust, uh, and the standard is quite successful then, you know, all things, all things considered. And so I think what you mentioned there about people running small businesses where they maybe don't have a full-time in-house security person yet, you know, this is exactly the same for uh, crypto startups. And so the, the newer or the more modern venture that you're into is the CCSS as an auditor. So what is the CCSS? It's the uh, Cryptocurrency Security Standard, and it was created by people who were heavily involved in the cryptocurrency world from around about 2013, 14, 15, and they created a standard for cryptocurrency-based systems. And the standard was literally designed around how to protect against the hacks that were currently experienced. So their entire security standard is based around how do we protect against the most common attack factors. And uh, it's, it's a very good standard for uh, cryptocurrency systems and it sits on top of a, another security standard. So it just, it's designed to bolt on top of some other security standard that you use. For example, if you're going to be PCI DSS compliant, you would, and, and you want to get into cryptocurrency and accept cryptocurrency-based payments, you would bolt on the um, CCSS standard just solely to focus on the systems that support cryptocurrency. And uh, there's a whole CCSS committee that manages the standard and ensures that it's up to date and uh, covers the most recent attack vectors and the committee, you can actually look on the um, C4 website. C4 actually uh, looks after the standard. And you can look on their website and uh, the Cryptocurrency Consortium, and you can see all the committee members, and they're quite influential. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos is probably the, the number one crypto OG on that list, uh, but also uh, you know, security experts like Jameson Lopp, the bit about it being a bolt-on, if you are an exchange and you're allowing people to buy some coins using credit card and you're also, for example, going to hold some of their coins in either a hot or a cold wallet, uh, really you would need both these or you would want both these standards. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the you will see a lot of the overseas-based exchanges will be SOC 2 compliant, which is a, a security standard. And um, on top of that, they're looking at applying CCSS because SOC 2 is just general information security. It's like a baseline, whereas CCSS focuses purely on um, cryptocurrency. For example, it covers multi-sig wallets. It covers um, you know, key, uh, more advanced key custodian management like MPC as well for um, key management and um, what is SOC 2? SOC 2 is a information security standard that um, just is baseline information security standard. So it just covers things like uh, ensuring that they've got security controls in place like patch management, change management, and um, configuration management, user account management, and so forth. So with um, CCSS, it just focuses purely on the attack vectors that are unique to a cryptocurrency system. So what would be a primary one there? I'm thinking keys and wallets. Yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, CCSS also covers um, smart contracts. So there's requirements in there to ensure that secure coding techniques are applied to smart contracts, that the smart contract code is audited prior to being released into production, and which is which is really good because there it, is, it clearly defines a major attack vector in, in, in the crypto world right now, which is um, poor coding practices. So I, I think most of the hacks that we see these days are related to flaws in smart contract code. And CCS provides requirements that ensures that there's at least a robust 
um, software development lifecycle in there and that, that things are checked prior to going live and that they're actually audited by external parties. So there's, there's, you've got uh, parties out there now that will audit smart contract code and provide assurance or certificate says the smart contract was audited. Right, so you're not auditing the smart contract code itself and running tests on that, but as part of the standard, you, you have to tick that box. Yeah, I mean, it would be that uh, the requirement would be you would have to have your um, smart contract code audited every year. Or if there was a significant change to the smart contract code, you would get that audited by a third party. So section one of the standard deals with keys and wallets, and section two is more about general operations. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So can you talk a bit about key generation and this idea of how you can ensure as a business that you're up to standards with how it is that you're providing customers with keys and things like this? So with key management, so the standard requires that you, you apply good key management practices. So that would be the case of using key custodians and ensuring that when you generate keys, there's a certain process that you have to undertake and that the keys are generated in a secure room in a secure environment, that the keys are generated using strong entropy and that the keys are protected at rest. And also when they're um, used in a, in a generation of another key. You, uh, you directed me to this earlier when we were chatting you directed me to this website called rec.news, right? Which uh, yeah. details, I mean, it, there's a very long list of crypto exploits over the past number of years and kind of a laundry list of what can go wrong and what has gone wrong. Uh, one, of the, one of the recent ones I looked into is called uh, Wintermute and uh, they're like an algorithmic trading firm. They provide liquidity to a bunch of exchanges and they have a over-the-counter trading desk. Uh, so in September, they were hacked for $160 million in, in total that was drained. And uh, so some people did an analysis there of what happened with Wintermute. And uh, it turned out that they were generating vanity addresses. And these vanity addresses were using a tool called Profanity, which uh, was taking shortcuts so that it could, in advance, find a number of addresses that um, don't look necessarily entirely random. So the vanity addresses had a bunch of zeros at the beginning. And uh, if you have a bunch of zeros at the beginning of your address, you can actually, so they say, you can save a very small amount of gas when you're transacting, either with the contract generation uh, or by any process where you have to uh, contact these addresses. And so if you're like doing a audit on your system and you're looking at the standards, uh, would vanity addresses get flagged as being a potential problem? Well, the, the standard is um, broad enough that it, it doesn't encompass exact attack vectors per se, just like you, what you were referring to there. I see, yeah, yeah. yeah. The requirements basically will state that your, your smart contract code needs to be audited by a third party. And um, you would expect, so as an auditor, what we would do is we'd look at the third party and see, are they qualified to actually conduct a smart contract code audit? And we would look at the audit report and we would see, okay, so the audit report covered these following um, attack vectors by looking at the code and seeing what vulnerabilities are there. And then we would go and see what would be the latest attack vectors and compare that audit report to the latest attack vectors to see whether the audit was um, taking into account the most recent attacks. But I mean, this thing changes almost daily. So the, the, the key thing about a security standard is that it needs to provide some kind of guidance, but at the same time, be able to um, provide enough uh, flexibility that the auditor can apply the, re the requirement and also look at the current attack vectors and say, yes, this audit was, um, you know, this audit report on the smart contract was looking at the most latest attack vectors. So yeah, like, that must be a problem with, I guess, all auditing, especially if you're dealing with a technical nature is that by the time you actually turn up on the doorstep, 
you know, the, the standard, even if it was pretty freshly minted, that standard might already be out of date. Oh, absolutely. I mean, PCI DSS has always been talked about as about five years behind, um, you know, what's currently in the security best practices right now. But the standard is very good in that it provides the ability for an auditor to take into account what's the most latest attack vectors and apply that back to, to their audit um, discipline. And, and CCSS does that as well. So it, it was basically designed to acknowledge the fact that they will never be able to keep up to date with the latest attack vectors, but when an auditor comes <laughs> in, it can, uh, the auditor can you know, look at what's the latest attack vectors and, and apply that to the standard. Yeah, unfortunately, I guess we're always playing catch up and you, you may be okay today, but uh, tomorrow somebody else might discover a new vulnerability. Absolutely. What does uh, what does level one of the standard look like? If I am say starting a, a new business in Web three, um, I want customers. I want uh, I want to dial into Ethereum. I want customers to be able to um, maybe swap some tokens, maybe mint some NFTs. Uh, approximately, what does it look like to get started with this? So level one is the most basic level. So there's three levels. There's level one, level two, and level three. And the requirements get more uh, defined as you go up the levels. Level one is considered the baseline entry. So any entity that is looking at providing cryptocurrency or, or crypto functions uh, should look at baseline uh, level one. And that just provides the most basic of information security controls for a cryptocurrency system. You've got robust key management, uh, wallet creation, you've got sound user management practices and so forth. So just the basics. And if you if you look at the, the some of the requirements, they're, they're pretty common sense, right? They're just protect your keys. Don't, <laughs> don't write hard code your private key and code and then <laughs> upload it to GitHub, right? And, and accidentally make that, that repo public. Uh, that's the type of thing that they're looking at. It's just the most basic of, of security standards. I mean, a lot of this time, basic security standards come back to common sense. Why would you hard code your private key into code? There's no, why would you do that? So that's where CCS level one comes in. And uh, CCS level two provides a little bit more rigor around those processes. So it requires maybe some more policies, some more procedures are documented, some more checks are applied. And CCSS level three is, is basically the, the flagship there. That's where you would expect exchanges and entities that deal in a lot of um, users' funds would, would look at CCS level three because it's extremely robust and there's a lot more third party validation of their security controls. <laughs> You're right about those being common sense. I'm, uh, I've been writing a tutorial for my students about minting an NFT. And uh, so we pull like an API from our account and, and we need that in order to interact with the app. Uh, and, and I remember very specifically writing the note section saying, hey, make sure you don't upload this back in to, to GitHub. Although having said that, I myself have uploaded keys to GitHub in in the past, never never a private crypto key though. Uh, yeah. I've always been a bit more wary of, of that. Um, okay, so I had a quick look at some of these levels. Level, level three, like you say, the most rigorous. We would expect uh, exchanges, high volume, high volume people to be doing this. Uh, there's a bit in there about electromagnetic pulses. Yeah, so that's where, from memory, that would be where... My, my note here was, what the heck? Who is going to be uh, exposed to an electromagnetic pulse? Yeah, it's one of those, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, the entity is using a, um, a data, uh, uh, a host to service provider, right, for hosting. And they've got big, huge data centers. I mean, you, you're probably talking about Azure or AWS. And... These, these data centers are certified just everything. They're certified for everything, right? PCI DSS level three, the whole, the whole lot, level one, the whole lot. And then um, what, what this is inferring is that, um, you know, the backups are stored within 
um, these environments and that somehow someone, maybe an insider, got to the exact virtual instance on an exact server and fired some electric pulses at that server to wipe the backups. That would be my interpretation of that. Yep. And that would be, and so as an auditor, what you'd have to do is you'd have to go in and say, okay, how does the data center protect against that? Because it wouldn't be under the assessed entity's scope. The assessed entity would be relying on the data center to provide that protection. So is there some like, we're already kind of creating a web of responsibility here between uh, our third parties and our data center, and then you come in as an auditor. So maybe my question is, where does your responsibility fit uh, in the process? So as an auditor, I'm auditing the what they call the trusted environment, which is all the systems that provide cryptocurrency functions, such as your key management server, where you store the encrypted data, but also the third-party service providers that you use to, to help you with these, um, these functions. So not only would I look at the, the primary assess entity, I'd also check all these service providers and see what data from the assessed entity they're looking after and what their systems are doing to protect their customers' data and then I would also look at the service providers and see what access they have into the assessed entities environment. So some of the most classic um, attacks in general information security world have been via uh, lax security from um, third party service providers. Right? So somehow the, the entity that got hacked gave access to an um, air conditioning company who monitored the air conditioning systems of, of, of the business and they had lax security and a hacker got into the air conditioning business and found out that they had credentials to access this other entity and they used those credentials to log in and basically start trying to um, hack uh, um, the organization. And sometimes they're very successful because the organization sometimes gives them more privileges than they need. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it's really complex. So you're already a couple of degrees removed from the person that is maybe directly responsible uh, in some sense of putting a practice in place, you know, the person that's at the keyboard. Oh, yeah. I mean, third-party service providers generally are known to cause or contribute to most of the major hacks that we've experienced. And so with CCSS, it's just not about looking at the exchange overall and, and confining that audit boundary to, the, to, to their environment, but also looking at all the service providers that they engage and what data of, of the assessed entity they look after and how much access they have in to the environment. But the audit boundary for CCSS is the, the systems that provide the cryptocurrency functions. I like that term, yeah, audit boundary. Um, in, in terms of in terms of third parties, we hear a lot these days about how sophisticated the scammers are getting in all areas, not just in cryptocurrency. And there's this idea of social engineering. Does that fit into the standard at all? And uh, follow up, are we always susceptible? Are, are we ever going to solve this problem of, you know, there is an air conditioner technician that needs to log in and monitor the temperature one day, and that's how it all begins? Yeah, I think generally as humans, you're always going to have social engineering and it's always going to be extremely effective. What information security standards such as CCSS does is tries to limit the impact of, of what a human can actually do. So what you would do there, and, and this also goes to the back to the baseline security standards, is that you would ensure that the person, every person has privileges that they only need to fulfill their role. You don't give them extra privileges. You, you don't, um, you know, if they change roles and they've gone from, say, a system administrator to, say, marketing within the, within the organization, you, you would remove all their system admin privileges 
because why do they need them if in the, in the marketing department, right? So it's, it's the concept of least uh, privilege. The other thing to look at there is early detection of uh, an unauthorized access attempt. So there would be security controls around that. And in CCS, you've, you've got uh, requirements around log management as well. So the ability to log um, what people are doing and also to provide alerting to say, you know, there, there's an attempt at access here and, and this, this person failed login, you know, a number of times. Let's give some practical takeaways here for a few folks out there that uh, might be curious. Uh, so if you are uh, a new or a small or a newish business, what are some easy to implement things you can do on your way to that baseline level one? Or some things that uh, that you should do, but maybe you haven't yet got to and probably you should raise up in your priority list. What are some of uh, the low hanging fruit? Oh, this, some of the stuff isn't even um, CCSS related. It would be ensure that you've patched your systems, make sure that you patch regularly and that any critical patches that come out for the systems that you use, you try and um, get them implemented within the month of, of the patch being released. User account management, make sure that the people that need access to certain things are the only people that have access. Make sure, for example, that the the startup founder, you know, when, when you're starting to reach the uh, levels of growth, that the startup founder may still have God privileges to all the systems, but yeah. now they don't need it because they've got a whole team that actually is responsible for that. So ensure that even the, the founder um, doesn't have some of these privileges left anymore because you've always got that constant thought of social engineering. So you've got to expect that at some stage, Someone's going to be socially engineered within your organization. And so what you need to do is find out how can I reduce that impact? How can I reduce the damage that that's going to cause me? And at the same time, how can I detect that as fast as I possibly can? So another classic example is when you engage um, consultants, third parties, and you give them access to certain systems for a period of time while whenever they're working on them. But then you somehow forget after they've left and, and they still have access, their account is still active. And then that consultant suffers a, a breach. And then they find out that the hacker finds out through this consultant that they still have access to this business's um, systems. So what they normally recommend is a general three monthly review of your user accounts, um, just, to, just to double check. And the other thing too is always protect your, your data, trust no one. So even if you're using a um, service provider and, and your data is quite confidential, always ensure that it's protected at rest. So um, you may put your data in a third party's um, piece of software, like an online CMS system or whatever, but just ensure that really sensitive data is protected by you. You only have the keys to the sensitive data um, because the the third party provider that you're actually um, using their systems may suffer a breach. And the breach may cause that your personal data that you've been storing um, becomes visible to the hacker. So always try and protect your data when it's on someone else's machines with keys that only you have. Yeah, that's a good crypto tenant there. Uh, don't trust verify at, at all times. Uh, and just about that uh, idea of the founder having God privileges, this reminds me of the Canadian exchange Quadriga, where the founder took off to India on a trip with his wife, had a heart attack and died. And he took the private keys to his customer accounts. You know, they were, they were all uh, co-mingled into one account. And he took those keys to his grave. And apparently not even his wife knew where to find the keys or knew of the keys. Uh, and so, you know, um, uh, I'm not sure the value of uh, $30 million or something just vanished like that when somebody yeah, took yeah. the keys with them. Well, there, there, there's also the theory that he didn't die. Um, <laughs> there is that theory too, yeah. yeah. Have, have, you, uh, have you dug into that? There's a podcast about this, which is pretty good. Oh, no, no, I haven't, I haven't yet, but... Um... CC, even CCSS covers that where all transactions require more than one signature. 
So even there, you've got you know the requirement for multi-sig. Um, the other great thing too is that you might be looking at uh, instead of multi-sig, you might be looking at some other other the technologies that are used these days, like um, multi-party compute (MPC). So instead yeah, what, what is that? So that's it's it's mathematical, but basically at the end of the day, it allows you to have maybe only one private key. But then that key is broken up into pieces, um, what they call shards um, or key parts. So a number of people have a piece of the private key and that in order to sign a transaction, a certain amount of those people with the, the pieces can come together and um, it's not correctly the term, but um, in a way, they, they come together and they validate each of their key parts, and that ensures that the transaction um, goes through as signed. So for CCSS, it says it requires that there be a multi-sig wallets, but if you're using MPC, you might only be dealing with one private key, but it's been broken up into shards or key parts. So if you, an auditor can interpret that to say, well, okay, so they've only got one private key to sign a transaction, however, that private key has been broken up. So if you remove the general concept of what a, what a key is, which is a whole key, and you remove that concept and you look at the concept more of um, there's more than one person required to sign a transaction and that person has a piece of data that is needed, then you can actually say that, well, the entity met that requirement for multi-sig wallets because they're using MPC in such a way that there's, okay, there's one private key, but in reality, there's more than one person that's required to sign a transaction because they each have a part of that private key. The, the private key never comes together as a whole. And that's where CCSS also provides the ability to be more flexible. So that's taking into account, okay, the standard was written probably about 2015, and then MPC started really getting um, uh, pop, more popular, but the requirement's still the same, the wording's still the same, but the flexibility that auditors are given means that new, more um, popular or newer technologies can be um, absorbed and said, yes, this is a good security control that meets the requirement. What is some advice that you can give someone around this idea of good practice and crypto security? What can you tell someone that's just dipping their toe in and they're thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to send a hundred dollars and go buy some coins. Where would you start? Trust no one. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I, when I first started out in cryptocurrency, I used to go to the discord channels for certain projects and, um, or telegram. And I used to put in a question, oh, how do I do this? And literally within a couple of seconds, you had a whole lot of system administrators asking you, well, we can help you with that. And you know, what, what's, what's your private key or can you enter in your private key here so we can connect to your wallet and see what's going on. I mean, for anyone who's just come into cryptocurrency, it seems to be an incredibly helpful community. But in fact, literally all those people that have contacted you first to say we can help you are scammers. And it's just astounding um, that the sophistication and of the scammers versus the people who have just started out in crypto are not really, I mean, it's such a massive uphill learning school for anyone about crypto, right? Just the whole concept of, you, you know, you can't hold it. It's not like a physical um, coin. It's, it's a mathematical equation of, of uh, around complexity. That's what you basically are, are buying. And um, you're trying to get hold of that. You're trying to get hold of these concepts. And then you go on to these communities. And as soon as, sometimes even when you just come in, there'll be people trying to ping you to say, you know, friend you and saying, oh, you know, how are you going? What are you investing in? And so forth. And literally they're all scammers. So my advice for anyone who's just getting into this field is just basically trust no one. Um, do your own research. If anyone asks you for your, your seed phrase or your private key or any of your personal information, don't give it because it's, no one needs your private key. 
Yeah, Discord is particularly, I haven't spent much time on Telegram, but Discord's particularly messy like that. The DMs come in straight away for, you know, if any group that's over a small number of people, uh, oh yeah, what do you need help with? I can help you, yada, 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 exactly as, as you say. Uh, so have you started auditing yet or when is your first one? So the, the, uh, the CCSS auditing program started literally um, certifying auditors about three months ago. So there is maybe five or six auditors now around the world, what they call CCSSAs. So it's, it's quite a mouthful, but we've got uh, one signed client now. So we're doing the first audit in the world. And we've got another... Three. Oh, not just for you, but for any of the auditors. First yes. one. Yeah, okay. we're the first one. And we've got uh, th three other opportunities that are close to signing as well. And they all see the value in um, being able to show to their customers that they take security seriously. Because before CCSS, there really wasn't anything that they could say, we take security very, very seriously. Yes, we're SOC 2 compliance, and yes, we are ISO 27001 compliant, but it doesn't really mean much to people who are looking at cryptocurrency. Yes, they've got the baseline security standards, but CCSS is directed solely at cryptocurrency security. And this is where a lot of um, entities around the world are seeing the value in this certification, in that it really does focus on the security and the protection of, of, of your cryptocurrency, your funds. So very shortly, we should start to see entities advertising uh, that they've that they've got the standard, basically. Yes, where CCSS is going to come in, they're heavily marketing the standard, and they're trying to help uh, the general public become aware of the standard, and really focus in to say to the general public. If you go to a platform, if you want to invest in a platform or an exchange or whatever, just check to see whether they're CCSS certified. I mean, at the end of the day, this is not a profit-making organization that are behind C4. Their, their sole mission is to educate people and really show the benefits of cryptocurrency. And to them, it's not about making money. It's about ensuring that you know, when you get excited about cryptocurrency the first time and you want to put some of your hard-earned cash and, and get involved in this whole, this whole you know, ecosystem, is that you don't end up putting your money in and then the next day finding out the site's been hacked, you've lost all your money, and the only way you could have gotten hold of the people who were running the project was via Discord channel and everyone's anonymous. But I mean, that, that's, that's one of the major failings currently or inhibitors currently of um, the general public getting into this space is, is the lack of accountability for these platforms. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a massive problem. Uh, couple that with all of the funding that's come in, you know, essentially just for an idea. And people get these tokens and then they balloon up and then they abscond, they delete their discord and that's it. You know, yeah. what do you what do you do after that? Like, um, so I'm, I'm with you. And I think that I agree with you on uh, C4's perspective there as well. You know, they're there to promote basically safe practices and adoption. I hope that we see lots of this. I can definitely see the value of having that badge and, you know, not just for being able to improve and upgrade your systems and prevent potential loss for you or your customers. But, you know, the the branding and the marketing, like that's that's good stuff. And that's really what crypto needs these days is we need like some some good news stories. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, CCSS not only provides the assurance of security, but it also allows some level of accountability because obviously when an entity becomes certified in CCSS, you've got to have contact details to say, who was within the organization that actually signed off on the certificate for compliance, right? So you, you need, in order to, to actually show a certificate of compliance, you need to have some kind of information about the entity itself, its registered uh, company, uh, contact personnel, and so forth. So not only does the, the standard provide security, but it also allows for a certain amount of accountability 
in that the assessed entity, someone in there is going to put their name to this certificate. Yeah, this might be a place where uh, KYC is, is appropriate and encouraged. Yeah, and the other great thing about C4 is they've also got um, basic um, training on things such as Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin, what is Ethereum, and they're really good tutorials and exams just for the general public, just to get an understanding of how Bitcoin works. I know that C4 are really working on um, some other uh, courses related to just the basic information um, around cryptocurrency for the general public. So, you know, C4's got the standard, but they've also got these other more entry-level tutorials and help related for the general public. We're uh, just about out of time here today, Mark. Are you up for some rapid fire? <laughs> yeah, go for it, as long as it's not hard questions. Uh, you, you can answer this as, with as much or as little detail as you like. Um, I have a little bit of insight into your past life, so I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite dish to cook? Oh, uh, confit, duck confit. Duck confit, eh? Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say that I've had a lot of that in my life. Maybe I'll try to have some more. When you go to France, try it when you go to France. Okay. What's your favorite metaverse play? You mentioned at the beginning of today's conversation about Sandbox. Uh, and do you think that we're going to see a lot more of the so-called metaverse in the future? I have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like in, say, two years' time. But I like the Sandbox because it's actually providing some kind of... You can easily, when you go to the Sandbox, you know it's about, it's about experiences and games. So if you own a piece of land, you can build experiences on your land and um, they provide all the tooling for that. And I, I really like Sandbox in, in that they're really focused on um, kind of like just, I wouldn't call it gamification, but you go there and, and you've got things to do. There's always <laughs> things to do in the Sandbox where, you know, I've been to Decentraland and um, CryptoVoxels and so forth, or Voxels. Yep. And there's nothing much to do. I'm not really incentivized to do anything. And, but you hit sandbox and bang, straight in. You know, you've got challenges to do. You've got a whole lot of other things to do. And I, I find that quite um, appealing. And I think it's appealing for a lot of people. The other thing, too, I like about sandbox is um, they're always in your face with marketing. There's always, I mean, if you subscribe to some of their YouTube channels, they're releasing four or five pieces of content when they, when they open up the sandbox to, for people to come in. They're constantly creating um, content. They're really there, whereas Decentraland, I mean, I, I'm not a hater of Decentraland, but I haven't really seen much news on Decentraland of late. The, uh, the last bit of news I heard about Decentraland was that they were hosting an event, some sort of you know crypto event, conference maybe type thing, and was that it was kind of dead. You know, it, they seemed to be promising more than either they were delivering or that the people wanted to participate in. Will Tether ever be able to have a proof of reserves and pass a CCSS audit? Ooh. Um, uh, currently, maybe not, but- Maybe not, I mean, yeah. They've been criticized, right, about having uh, various types of reserves. Yeah, um, and, and, and you mentioned a good point about um, proof of reserves. So C4 is, is, is uh, they've got an entire section on proof of reserve. And some people may say that, well, that's not a security control. A proof of reserve is more like a financial control. But at the same regards, though, CCSS is, is first and foremost about security, but at the same time, it's about providing assurance to people that, you know, this organization is, is undergoing, um, you know, they've undergone a certain audit and they've been checked out. And, and at this stage, you know, it's all about security, but there's also, you'll see things like proof of reserve come in as well. And that's really important. I mean, Celsius alone, if they, you know, if they, if they even had proof of reserve in there, then maybe it would be in a better place than Celsius currently is now, right? So. Oh, yeah, uh, think, that, yeah, and that clown, Mashinsky, the latest headline is that he withdrew $10 million. These are directly customer funds uh, days before the, the big collapse. Um, but yeah, so 
Uh, what was the other one? Uh, three Arrows Capital. Would proof yeah. of reserves uh, likely have helped their customers as well? Uh, yeah. You know, well, they're saying that Celsius is, what, is literally a Ponzi scheme, the way that they have been designed. And proof of reserves, you would expect, would have stopped that, or at least they wouldn't have been able to offer proof of reserve because of the way that they're structured currently. So I think proof of reserve is, is very important. And I hopefully, there's no official standard yet for proof of reserve. People are working on, on some, uh, creating some standards. But right now, CCSS basically says there's got to be some facility where you can actually prove to your customers and possibly the general public that you've got enough funds somewhere to back up your customers' funds. And um, I think proof of reserves is going to be a really, really important feature in, in the future. Bitcoin or Ethereum? Uh, Bitcoin, because at my age, I like nice and stable and not too exciting. I mean, I've got Ethereum and I've got some other bits and pieces, but I remember when I first came in, there were people who only invested in Bitcoin and they've been around for years and years and years in the crypto market. And they bought everything and they've lost everything. And ultimately at the end of the end, these old salts of of, of the cryptocurrency world, they only invest in Bitcoin because at the end of the day, it's the granddaddy. It's nice and smooth. There's no excitement. There's no innovation that could cause some kind of disturbances. There's certainly not a shit coin. And, you know, it's just nice and smooth. So over time, um, I'll probably just stick with uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, but I'm no expert in this. I mean. Okay, our last one. Who is Satoshi? Well, he's not that Aussie bloke, that's for sure. <laughs> I, it's like, who is Q and all? You know, who's Q? It's, you know, it's... Thank you very much for joining us today, Mark. And it's been great talking to you. No, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us, folks. Look out for the next episode of the Blockchain New Zealand podcast. Probably in the same spot you found this one. Cheers. Cheers.